And officially this morning, uh, welcome, my friends, and, and welcome back to the wilderness that we call Lent, right? We're in this season of, we're in the season of Lent. Uh, this is a 40-day season. If, you've, if you're not super familiar with the liturgical calendar, Lent is a 40-day is, is a, is a season. Uh, it starts Ash Wednesday, and it ends on Holy Saturday, the day before Easter. Now, the 40-day season of Lent doesn't include what's called feast days. Sundays are, are feast days. So technically, these are not days that are concluded in the 40 days. So there's 40 days of Lent, not including feast days, not including Sundays. And it's paralleling the 40 days that Jesus spent in his own wilderness. We talked about this last week, yeah? Where Jesus spent 40 days in quiet and, and solitude. As Jesus was tempted and tested by the same three claims of his identity that we so often are tested with. And we talked about this last week as well. I am what I have, right? I am uh, what I do, and I am what others say about me. And so this kind of sets the stage for the rest of the Lenten season, because these are the questions that we, uh, not these are the questions, these are the things that rub against us, and this is what we then kind of focus on during this season. Just as Christ prepared his heart for what was to come, we too prepare our hearts for Holy Week and for Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter. And we reside in the wilderness along with Christ, contemplating who it is that we are, right? Where our identity comes from. Basically, what we're doing during this season is we're allowing ourselves to be honest about our identity and where it lies. And so what I want to do here at, at, at Regen this year is uh, during these Lenten weeks, I want to spend the next four weeks. There's four more Sundays in Lent. And we'll spend these four weeks leading up to Holy Week and Easter exploring four distinctive poems. I want to look at poetry in the wilderness. I'm a big fan of poetry. I, I really believe that poetry can give us the, the language underneath the language, if that makes any sense. It kind of takes it from the, the academic and into the gut. And so I want to explore four different poems. Um, they're found in the book of Psalms. And each one of these poems, each one of these psalms, each one of these songs have their own writing style and their own theme that kind of runs throughout the writing. The psalms are perhaps one of the most raw and honest writings in all of the Bible. Um, we see a lot of imagery in the psalms that can help us, I think, as we journey. And so this year for Lent, we're going to look at four different psalms. We're going to look at a psalm of confession. Okay, that's what we're going to do today. Psalm 32, a song of confession. And confession can give us language to kind of explore who we are. Then we're going to move into and look at a song of lament. We did an entire series on lament not that long ago, a couple of uh, Lents ago. But we're going to look at a psalm of lament, and that can present us language basically for dealing with the results of who we are, <laughs> right? Lamenting and grieving the sorrows of, of the world. Uh, then we're going to look at a psalm of pilgrimage, uh, a song that can provide us imagery and, and prose around the prophetic and the holy imagination, basically allowing us to be honest and true with who we are as a collective, right? This entirety of who we are as humans. And then we'll finish up right before Holy Week with a psalm of thanksgiving. This psalm will allow us to just simply bask in the reality of who God is as we move forward. 
Let's pray, and then we'll dig into Psalm 32 this morning. Heavenly Father, Son Jesus, and Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit, as this Lenten season continues, as our journey into the wilderness continues, we ask that you would allow the words of the various psalmists, the poets and the songwriters in the Old Testament to fill our hearts this year, to fill our souls with language that can help us identify better who we are, our longings, our desires, who we are as a collective, as, as humans, and also give us more language and better language for who you are as creator God. As we journey into this wilderness, as we contemplate the mysteries of the barren landscape of Lent, God, we just simply ask that we would do it with new eyes, new souls, new hands and feet within which they engage the world. We pray all these things in your most holy name. Amen. All right, so if you're following along this morning, we're going to be in Psalms 32. Um, that's what uh, we have up there. And this is a song that was written by a very famous uh, person from the Old Testament scriptures, uh, David. And this is subtitled, if you're, if, if you're looking in your Bible right now, you'll notice that it says that it's a maskeel, okay? A maskeel is just simply a Hebrew word for being a poem of contemplation. That's it. A poem of contemplation. And so that's what David is saying. David is saying, this is a poem that I'm writing, a penitential poem, a confessional poem, and it's one that is meant to be contemplated. And this is kind of a perfect way for us to begin our journey this year. And so we're going to start just right here in verse 1. We're going to go through the entirety of the psalm, and you'll kind of see how we break it up as we go. But right here in the beginning, David uh, writes, Blessed or happy are those whose rebellion, whose transgression is carried away whose sin is covered or clothed, concealed. Blessed or happy are those to whom Yahweh thinks of as not guilty and in whom's spirit, whose breath, there is no deceit. David continues, while I kept plowing ahead, my bones, the substance of who I am, grew old. Through my roaring, my crying out, my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand felt heavy upon me. And this is a really interesting word. This is, it was a really, it was, it was a fun challenge this week, but as I was, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but as I was translating this uh, from, from, from Hebrew to English, it was a weird translation because poetic language has a hard time uh, kind of translating over from one to, to another. And, 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 and for instance, like right here, we see uh, David saying that, you know, your, your hand felt heavy upon me. Not as if it was heavy, but it felt heavy. This is poetic language. But then he says, and my, and he uses this word, lasadi, which is literally translated as juice. <laughs> like his inner juice. He's like, so, and my juice, my vitality, my strength, we could almost say it is his mojo. Whatever it is that's keeping David alive, he says, my juice was turned into the drought of summer. You see this poetic language that he's, 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 he's using metaphor to compare where his soul is at. It's parched up as if nothing is left inside of him. 
And this happens when he starts plowing ahead and refuses to be silent and look back and contemplate what's going on. And then we read this Hebrew word, these three little letters, Selah. Selah is just simply a poetic literary device that's been purposely put in by the author in Hebrew poetry. That means to rest, to lift up and to contemplate, to chew upon what we've just looked at. And so you see, we have a tendency uh, as humans to want to just read through, especially things like scripture. And we want to just tear through these and say, what does this mean? And how does this mean for my life? And we want to get all into all this stuff. But what David is asking us to do here is he's asking us to take a breath. He's asking us to slow down and to simply say la, contemplate what it is that I'm saying here. And so let's do just that this morning. We're going to kind of do this throughout the psalm reading. We're going to read a couple verses, and when David gets to a Selah, we're going to respect his wishes. We're going to listen to what he says, and we're going to Selah along with the poet. And so I want you to contemplate this morning these verses of David. And where in your own life does it seem as if you're plowing ahead? David uses this imagery of, of having his hand to the plow in a field and his eyes are so focused on the path that's coming that he's not even looking behind to see if he's even made any mistakes behind him. Where in your life are you keeping silent as to what's really going on inside your soul? Where are you not being honest with yourself? Where are you not being honest with those around you? Where are you not being honest with your creator? Where are you not being honest with the reality of God's spirit in your life? You see, at times, we all often end up in a space like this. Where all the deceit and the hiding from God and others catches up with our very being. And so perhaps it feels as if your very bones are growing old. I love that poetic imagery. Our bones growing old. Whoever has had a bone in their body, a back or a shoulder or something that feels like it's growing old. And David says it feels as if the weight of the divine is heavy on your heart. Where in your life does it feel as if your juice, your mojo is drying up? It's turning into the drought of summer. Things that normally keep you going are just drying up. Maybe you've got no motivation to keep going. Just like David, exhausted, tired of all the lies. And what makes it even more exhausting, you're crying out, you're groaning both day and night. How does your body feel? How does your soul feel? How does your spirit feel when you keep plowing ahead, refusing the Sabbath, refusing to rest and contemplate where you've been? Just take about 30 seconds or so and think about where in your life perhaps you're not allowing yourself to look behind and to confess and be honest with God and with others.
so in verse 4 we read that David was struggling with this, using that poetic language to, to, to speak of how he's not doing this, but then he flips it here in verse 5. And if you're following along, we're, we're continuing. He says then, he's saying after realizing all of that I felt in my bones, I ended up acknowledging it to you. I acknowledged you my sin, and I did not cover up. I wasn't clothing or concealing my guilt. Instead, I said, I will cast. I will throw out, I'll confess my rebellion. I'll confess my transgressions to you, Yahweh. And you, as a result, carried the guilt of my sin. And then we get to that word again, Selah where for the second time the poet wants us to rest, to lift up, to contemplate what he's just said. He does, it's not an accident that David's putting it here just one verse later again. Because we're seeing this complete reversal where David's juice turned into a drought, but now he wants us to contemplate this verse where he's stopped doing that. He's repented. He's changed his mind. He's no longer hiding from God. And now he's being honest about who he is. He took his hand off the plow for just a moment. And so once again, think about your life and truly reflect. What was it that you were just speaking with God about? What would it feel like to do what David's talking about and to finally be honest about something you've been hiding? What would it feel like to be honest with God or perhaps be honest with someone you love who bears the Imago Dei. To be honest about something you're ashamed about, something you're feeling guilty about. Maybe it's of your own doing. Or perhaps it's a result of someone else's behavior. But either way, you're keeping it bottled up. What would it feel like if it all just came pouring out? What would it feel like if you just let it go? if you acknowledged where you may be falling short or where others are hurting you, confessed the ways in which you were rebelling against reality, what would it feel like to come completely clean? Because David says that God carried away his guilt. What would it feel like to allow God to carry away your guilt? Just stand another brief moment to say, La, and simply confess before the one who listens. Let it pour out, for he listens without condemnation, but desiring to carry your guilt to free your soul. Now we continue with verse 6. The poet continues, Therefore let everyone who is kind pray, make intercession to you 
for when they may be found in a time only of a flood of great waters, shall these flood of great waters not reach them. For you, Yahweh, are my covering. You are my hiding place. You shall guard and preserve me from the narrow, tight spaces. You shall surround me with songs of ringing cries, songs of deliverance. And then for the final time, David writes, Selah. He says, rest and lift up. Contemplate what I'm speaking of. David is pleading with us here to pause, to slow down and reflect upon this poetic imagery he's using. Imagery of coming out from hiding, allowing ourselves to be kept safe from the floods. This imagery of being covered or guarded, watched over by the creator himself, saved from these narrow spaces, saved from the troubles of pretending to be someone we're not. Because God has carried the guilt of your sin. And you are surrounded by ringing cries, surrounded by songs of freedom and deliverance. Yahweh Most High, who makes all things new, new stars, new dust, new life. Take these hearts, O oh God. Every hardened edge and measured beat and create something new. God, we need your newness. We need the rough parts made smooth, the stagnant stirred, the stuck freed, and the unkind forgiven. And then we pray by the power of your spirit for us to be turned toward love again. And this is where our poet takes us this morning as well. He takes us back again into love as he finishes this poem. He takes us now to the voice of Yahweh. And in a beautiful flip of authorship, we hear David's prayers answered through the voice of Yahweh. We're in verse 8 where Yahweh says, I will help you to be wise and I will shoot you towards the way you should go. This word is an archery term. Again, it's, it, it, it's metaphor. I will shoot you towards the way you should go. I will counsel with my divine eye upon you. He says, listen, do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, whose mouth must be harnessed with bit and bridle, so that way it will stay near you. Because many shall be the sorrows, many will be the pain of those who can't confess. But mercy and loving kindness will surround those who are confident are confident in trust in these ways of Yahweh. Be glad in Yahweh. Rejoice all you righteous and give a ringing cry. Shout for joy all you who are right in heart. All you who are right in your inner soul. And thus ends our first poem for the wilderness journey. With these words of encouragement from David words that lead to life. And oh church, imagine if we read through psalms such as this. 
Imagine if we were able to take the language of these poems in our own wilderness journeys and let it guide us this season. My friends, may these words guide your soul this week as you contemplate who you are. Let's pray. In your deep silence and your mystery, oh God, you lead us to confess and to be forgiven. God, you give us the relief of honesty. How long and bitterly might we strive with all the guilt that we could hardly name and how painfully our heart may have been hidden by memories and secret shame. But instead, you bless us with an opportunity for new beginnings. You unbound us from the bands and the brands of blame so that way we can start our life again rejoicing and singing in your name. God, all of us baptized and born in your mysterious and all involving love. Your love is a love that lifts. It's a love that comforts and a love that embraces us. Even as we pray together, our Father in the heavens, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts just as we forgive our debtors. Lead us away from temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.